Hello, and welcome to the first ever edition of Herbert Smith Freehill's Third Wheel. I'm Tim Stutt, partner in our Sydney office, and I'm joined by Mel Debenham, partner in our Perth office. Mel, I'll get you to introduce yourself in a moment, but I thought we might start out with the idea behind this podcast, The Third Wheel. The idea is pretty simple. It's intended to be an accessible discussion about topical ESG issues affecting business. Each edition, Mel and I are going to be joined by a third wheel, who is going to be our guest speaker, talking about a topical ESG issue or doing a a deeper dive on what they're seeing across the market. We're conscious that there's quite a lot of material at the moment on ESG, and what we really wanted to do with this podcast is make sure that it's bite-sized, issues or developments focused, casual, low on jargon, and try and keep it personable which is probably a good segue to introducing my co-host, Mel. Mel, do you want to kick off? Thanks, Tim. Um, As you mentioned, I'm based in Perth, so we're really going to be covering the issues coast to coast from an Australian perspective. I'm really excited to be able to partner with my colleague and friend, Tim, on this one. Um, I think that we're all in for a lively and conversational discussion um, every fortnight or so. Um, My practice is a little different to Tim's, so I focus on environment, planning, heritage and native title regulations, um, regulation that's critical to doing business in Australia. And for anyone that's heard me talk about ESG, and I do tend to talk about ESG quite a lot these days, um, you and I refer to it as the theory of everything. Uh, Just to pick up on Tim's point um, about the breadth, you know, it, it does make ESG feel quite overwhelming at times. Um, There is so much, so much to do. Where does one start? Um, We're hoping to be able to put a practical lens on uh, on the developments we're seeing, whether they be legislative, policy or litigious, um, to try and help you navigate um, the ESG journey that's ahead for all of us. And as Tim mentioned, we will have our expert third wheel guests every week to help us discuss the most pressing, innovative and sometimes surprising developments in the world of ESG. Thanks, Mel. I might, um, I might uh, for this first edition, also give a bit of a background on ESG and how I've come to ESG. Uh, I'm a, a partner in our head office advisory team, which focuses on corporate governance. And over the last 12 years or so, have really seen governance move from issues of independence to a lot of issues around remuneration to a lot of issues around accountability and it's broadened out and out and out and ESG has become very front and centre. The way boards and executive teams set frameworks, manage risk and make disclosure in relation to ESG is taking up a lot of time and attention for our clients and it's an area where we've really grown and grown and grown. And it's an interesting area as well. Yeah, that's right, Tim. And, you know, we are having conversations about governance in a regulatory sense um, and then thinking about, um, you know, how to build in um, those regulatory considerations into governance. So never before have our worlds collided um, so significantly. I think I think that's a good download on the concept behind the podcast. So we might, without uh, any further ado, introduce our inaugural third wheel, our very own CEO, Justin D'Agostino. Justin, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be part of the first podcast in the series. Our first ever guest. Yay. <laughs> I hope being a third wheel's um, a, a positive reflection on, on, on me. But anyway, um, I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to it. I, I, I'm certain we can renumber ourselves so you're the first wheel and Mel and I can 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 order order accordingly after that. <laughs> now, as Mel and I mentioned, there is a lot of noise around ESG at the moment. There's a lot of thought leadership and material being produced. And it's such a broad topic, it means different things to different people. I thought to start off with, we might get a little bit personal and ask you personally, what does ESG mean to you and why is it important in your view? Thanks, Tim, and thanks, Mel. Um, Look, ESG is important to me because I feel that the E, the S and the G are now embedded in all of our lives, no matter our role, no matter our business or wherever we are in the world. And each of these letters are so interconnected. Climate change is worsening social issues in so many places across the world. Consumers are also employees and have increasingly high standards for their employers, as well as the companies they buy from. So this affects me and my role. This affects all of us, I think, day in, day out. But corporate reputations and the bottom line are at risk from a huge range of environmental and social factors. And governance codes are responding fast. But most importantly, I think, they represent the greatest challenges that we as people, as individuals, as well as employees are facing right now. And that can be really challenging. So I think it's really challenging because the landscape in which we all live and work today is overwhelming. And I, like many, can struggle with what to tackle first, what our first priority should be. But through my career, particularly, I think, in diversity and inclusion and specifically in creating space and environment for minority communities, I've really seen what can be achieved when we turn our mind to things. It takes focus, it takes hard work, it takes courage. But I've seen what can be achieved when you recognise the problem and when you bring others on board to solve it together. And I think that's um, at the heart of ESG, actually. So while the problems may seem overwhelming right now, I'm actually encouraged and motivated. I think it's safe to say there's a call to action in the world and our clients and we are taking the opportunities, but we're also taking the business risks seriously. So amidst this vast array of issues, as you said at the beginning, Tim and Mel, you know, this is a broad, broad topic. I'm seeing a real willingness to change, to progress, to take action. And the growth in ESG and law is in response to that. And you mentioned call to action, Justin, and I think um, I will speak for Tim in this regard. I think we we both see that and and feel that call to action at this particular juncture in time is really real. being the head of our organisation, um, I know that, and, and you've spoken about that call to action and that you you feel that personally as well. And we're lucky, I think, to um, have someone in your role to assist guide our organisation through the journey. Um, so perhaps we can um, focus a little bit on what we're doing at HSF and you can share with us um, 
our firm's approach to ESG? Well, I think, Mel, what we're doing first and foremost is bringing together the passion and the talent across our business. Lawyers, responsible business professionals, diversity and inclusion professionals, and of course, you guys, the this new ESG practice leadership. And I think together, when you bring all of that together, it's so much more powerful in advising clients and also advocating for change in the firm itself. So environmentally, as you know, we've set ambitious targets for our own business to achieve net zero by 2030, to change the ways in which we do business from how we power our offices to cutting back on travel. And we're building new partnerships outside the firm as well you know, and lending our legal expertise to those projects. I think one other link I would make is D&I is in the DNA of this firm, not just in the 30-year heritage of our human rights and business practice, but in the way our people experience the workplace. It makes us more responsive. It makes us more resilient. You know, big highlight for me over the last 12 months was launching our new programme of 10 Actions for Change and Multiculturalism quickly in response to the murder of George Floyd. And that's having a major impact already on the everyday life in this firm. Now, we still have a lot to do. We know that. But our journey is underway and it builds on our programmes on gender, on LGBT plus equality, etc. So we've created a culture of expectation in this firm, which I'm very proud of. And that culture of expectation is that we'll recognise and respond to issues as they arise. And that's a very powerful motivator for me, for our people, I think. Thanks, Justin. Um, And maybe at this point, it would be good to pivot um, away from what we're doing as a firm, our our thoughts as individuals, and um, to reflect on what you are seeing in your role. Um, Being the CEO of HSF, um, you have touch points through our business across, you know, a wide range of sectors as well as different jurisdictions. Can you share with us what you're seeing um, outside of our organisation? Well, I spend a lot of time, as you'd expect, talking with our clients and with the teams advising our clients across the firm, across the globe. And ESG is now firmly on everyone's agenda. And I can tell you it's part of every conversation I have with clients, with GCs, with boards. And that discussion forms in different ways, depending on the organisation, depending on its scale, its industry, of course. But in many ways, I see these issues being approached in a different manner within business um, and within our own firm compared to the past. But clients are approaching this in a different manner to they did even 12 to 24 months ago. We've seen waves of risk and regulation, um, waves of compliance before, notably after the Great Recession. But the discussion was different then. It was more combative, more political. And I think we now have a newer generation in charge of business and sometimes a more diverse set of leaders, too. So whilst risk, reputation and regulation is at the top of most boards' agendas, it's achieving and receiving greater attention than ever before. And we also have new technologies and a social connectedness between companies, between groups, um, large and small. And, and I think much has been said of the negative aspects of social media and new technologies, but I feel 
we ignore the positive connections. When used for good, no corner of the earth now is cut off. Everyone can film, everyone can stream and communicate almost instantly. And I think that's driven a fresh approach from our clients, partly because you can't hide anymore, but mainly because the reality of problems appear in the phone in your pocket every day. So I find from business, from the business world, from our clients, a more authentic urgency to drive change too. And I'm also surprised and pleased to learn how far advanced many companies are in reforming and in reshaping their business. So even those early on the journey have a refreshing acceptance that change must come. But I do feel when I'm speaking to clients, when I'm speaking to GCs, when I'm speaking to boards, that we're pushing at an open door these days and that one is less combative and cynical about the issues. And as I say, risk, reputation and regulation is at the, is at the top, the very top of most boards' agendas. Justin, what you're saying around the drive for change really resonates and that people are being positive and forward thinking with what they're doing. Just returning to some of the groups you mentioned, boards and executive teams and general counsel, particularly maybe focusing on the C-suite space, what do you think is the one thing that is keeping them up at night um, and that they really need to take as an imperative in, in dealing with ESG issues? Well, I think, Tim, we're, you know, we're just a month from COP26 and 18 months into the most disruptive period that most, if not all of us, have ever lived through. So there's plenty keeping our clients awake at night. But if there's one piece of advice I'd give, it's that ESG is an issue for today, not tomorrow. There's a very fast pace of development, both in the issues, but also in the solutions. And I think yesterday's answer may be different tomorrow. So for business, it could be a lost opportunity. And I think it's very important to embed this on the agenda as business as usual throughout an organization and at all levels. I think what I'm proud of is by you know, creating a multidisciplinary ESG team that draws from our business, actually there's a parallel here for clients, creating a multidisciplinary ESG team that draws from your main business lines, as well as specialists, you will have a more robust, practical and company-wide response to ESG opportunities and risks. So there's much to do and there's much at stake, in particular on um, the reputational side, I think. But the pace of change I see reassures me that the journey has become increasingly business as usual for many. I think I, I probably speak for Mel and myself here that the pace of change is what's keeping us up at night in terms of just the amount of stuff to get across and to be helping our clients get across and the amount of um, the amount of developments actually is shocking. And I think um, being able to cut through the noise is a big enabler for a lot of our clients. Before we close, Mel and I thought it would be fun to finish each of these episodes with an interesting example of ESG in action from around the world. 
And today we thought we might invite our listeners to check out the mammoth straw creatures, which are populating Japanese farmland in in uh, Nagata as part of the Wara Art Festival. The creatures are part of the prefecture's annual harvest, and they're made from the crops left over straw. They've had 30-foot-high tarantulas, eagles, and dinosaur-like creatures stalking the landscape in Japan. The idea was conceived back in 2006, and it's a collaboration between the people of the local ward and Tokyo's Musashino Art University. I think it was paused last year because of COVID, but it's back for October this year, and we encourage you to check out their online gallery. Mel, I'm a little hesitant to suggest it, but uh, maybe a giant Carnaby cockatoo for Kings Park could be in the offing. <laughs> Tim, you've gone straight to the biodiversity issue that is so close to my heart, <laughs> yes. Um, not just Kings Park, maybe one in my backyard under the macadamia tree where where um, my, my bunch of Carnabies come and visit, but um yeah, it's so great, I think, to see um, these little snippets of innovation that really draw the issues uh, to light in a way that it's accessible accessible for people. Um, uh, we're, we're seeing so much innovation and, and also a bit of fun in this space. So um, a, a great one to bring up. I, I can't wait to see what other little treasures we will un, unfurl as the pod continues. Um, but I think that draws us to a close so thanks for listening to our first podcast. Um, Tim and I and our expert third world guests uh, look forward to covering off on many issues um, over the coming weeks. Um, there will be a focus on climate change, I'm sure, in the lead up to COP26, but expect us to also cover off on topics like modern slavery, uh, reconciliation, workplace issues, um, and, and much, much more. If there are topics that you would like to hear um, Tim and I talk about, you'd like to hear our views, please let us know. Similarly, if there are any guests you'd like to see in the third wheel hot seat, um, please reach out to Tim and I. But until we speak again, keep rolling, ESGers. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Free Hills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.